Hello and welcome to our podcast. At In Diverse Company, we help organisations to create inclusive cultures that are not just good for business, but good for people too. We've been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic influencers in this space that really brings to life why inclusion is important, not just from a work perspective, but also the effects of change in the wider society. We'll be covering topics such as mental well-being, social mobility, men's mental health, neurodiversity and everything in between. Our podcast series is a chance for our listeners to be able to share some fantastic stories as well as taking away some key insights that can be put into practice. We hope you find this valuable. Great, so let's warm things up with our quick round. Um, just to know which one you prefer. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Music or podcasts? Podcasts. <laughs> As it always <laughs> is, podcasts. <laughs> yeah, if you know, I mean... Obviously, as recently as podcasts have become so sort of integrated into our lives, yeah, I would choose to listen to someone, even driving, I'd probably choose to listen to the radio if someone was talking over over music. So, yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah. It's helpful for the next yeah. Chris. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, fine calls or texts? And this is Ooh. to make. Um. Probably, I probably spend more time on WhatsApp than is proper or correct. I spend a huge amount of time WhatsApping people. Yeah, um, yeah I actually got much more into, obviously, since lockdown, FaceTime. I FaceTime a lot more than I did before and actually prefer it to phone calls now. So I think yeah. I do wonder if I'll be doing a lot more of that going forward. But yeah, WhatsApp. I really struggle with phone calls, more so with people that I know, I, I, it's, which sounds mm. really cool. Um, but I will forever whatsapp and then yeah. even like whatsapp call over a phone if i get a phone call i i always have this second of oh, do i answer do i not and i don't I, <laughs> I'm like, why are you calling me like i'm whatsapping someone and then they ring me and i'm like why are you ringing me we yeah, yeah, I just respond back unless it's like i think there's a time when you can tell it's oh okay i'll call that person back like yeah i won't believe what happened or where are you you know there will be indicators to this means I want to call them but if I'm like yeah lol oh, don't then call me like, just... yeah, like why we were perfectly fine in whatsapp why are you, <laughs> why are you now ringing me and they're like oh it's just quicker for me to call you than whatsapp you no it's not I'm much more about face-to-face so actually this kind of whole FaceTime video call thing suits me down to the ground but overall WhatsApp definitely yeah. with a gift if I can find one that's appropriate <laughs> and honesty or others feelings uh honesty delivered with kindness yeah cool yeah so thanks for those. Let's talk today about how you're feeling. So how would you score your mental well-being on a scale of one to ten? I would say at the moment probably around a seven, seven mm-hmm. or eight. And usually I'm usually around, I would love to say about an eight or a nine. I really do try and take care of my mental health. Um, and all things considered, I'm kind of in that headspace of sort of committed acceptance right now that, you know, we can't really control what's happening, but I can totally commit to making the best of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my mental health has been has been much, much lower over over sort of time and in different scenarios. But I 
I do generally try and really prioritize it now. So about a seven or an eight, I'd love to kind of be in an eight or a nine if I can be. Where do you, where do you think you are most regularly? If you were to kind of, think, I mean, it's very difficult in a time. Mm. That we're, yeah. But yeah. Where do you think that you generally would sit on the scale? I'd say about an eight. It depends on the time of day. When it's in the like, first thing in the morning, if I haven't had a coffee, it's about a four. Yeah. Uh, and then with the coffees, as they kind of my mental health kind of improves over time. But yeah, it's um, it's 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 okay. I'd say about an eight most of the time. Obviously, there's certain yeah. certain events and certain scenarios where it, it, it um can can go a bit lower. But I do obviously try and recognise those moments that 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 uh, when it's happening, and then do what I can to kind of get it to reset yeah so interesting to hear that when you know that when you're being triggered mm. by whatever stresses that you have do mm. you incorporate any small or daily habits to combat that so it help support your well-being sure I mean I tend to notice that my triggers will be around I'll react to something much faster than I would normally so I'll I'll feel that my anger might get triggered or I'll have an emotional reaction to something that wouldn't be a standard reaction for me. So I kind of am quite aware that um, when my mental health isn't where I want it to be. So um, I'll try and do some yoga or listen to a great audiobook or, or read something that can kind of really transport my mind somewhere else. Yeah. So kind of giving myself a little bit of a mental holiday that gives me some time to reset. Um, and I feel really lucky that I can find the space to do that from time to time. But for me, kind of finding some time to do some yoga, which is so familiar and has regularity and routine to it and, you know, includes a lot of great breathing techniques. I can find that can really, really help me. Um, and then also, if I can, getting out into the fresh air and just having a, a walk to kind of clear my head you know immersing myself in nature it's, there's no sort of magic formula I don't sort of have the secret sauce to kind of improving mental well-being but there's a few things that I can try and do that yeah. do help me um, and it's usually something that's got a familiarity or um, something that includes movement like walking or yoga really really helps. What do you do if you're because those are great to do say if you're at home or at the end of yeah. the day yeah. if you're having a tough day and it's lunchtime yeah. or you've had a, a particularly different difficult phone call work related mm -hmm. phone call meeting what do you do then I'll go and find someone who makes me laugh straight away <laughs> I'll go and find the person who's got the naughtiest joke or the funniest dirtiest story they can possibly tell me and I'll yeah. really gravitate towards somebody who who can make me laugh or who is just sort of radiates kindness and good energy and I'll, I'll try and get to be close to them I was always sort of uh, in the office space. I was sitting next to someone. I was always so grateful for that because they were so naturally funny. And actually just being around someone who can make me laugh quite quickly for, as, as well as a great reset for me. So I'll always try and find someone or seek someone out that is, you know, that radiator over the drain. Yeah. Um, and I think that really helps me, you know, sort of put things into perspective or um, allows you to kind of get a bit of light relief in those sort of times of more stressful moments at work. So I definitely always go and seek out the naughtiest person at work and just go and sit with them for 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, I think that that's uh, being often referred to as the naughty person in your office. I think that that's a good word. <laughs> 
my CEO CEO is always like, Tina, do you always come on the call because you've always got a funny antidote. I'm like, I'm yeah. just selling my story, mate. Do you know, I would have come and sat next to you and just like pulled up my laptop and been like, right, so tell me what's going on. <laughs> and you would have known that like, oh, she's just had a stressful phone call. <laughs> so I mentioned my intro that you've had like an enviable career within media representing some fantastic brands cosmo stylist newspaper brands can you share with us your journey and how it all began i mean i find it it's so nice of you to say but to sort of hear that someone would envy it is just is a it's incredibly humbling but also b i'm like what really that's crazy <laughs> um so yeah i um to be honest there's many there's many yeah women and young people that kind of look at the, the brands such as stylists and mm. Cosmo and it, it's for it you know it's been part of their formative years and yeah. to, to contribute to those type of brands is a fantastic opportunity I think and so and it should be something that's celebrated yeah, yeah thank you I mean I feel so so proud that I, I got to be part of those brands and even contribute a small chapter to their kind of bigger story it was just an immense privilege and one that I will always be so so grateful for but I started in slightly different circumstances I um, finished uni and all I wanted to do was move to London I didn't really have a plan I kind of wanted to work in media didn't have any money didn't really have a plan had a couple of mates I wanted to move to London with we found this kind of really dizzy flat in Angel I think it cost us like 300 quid a month it was like I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was lovely. There was no damp at all. I, every single room was like a, you know, a little damp den, but it was great. And I loved it. And um, I kind of was going to see some recruitment agents and um, someone mentioned to me that there was this company called EMAP who were doing a graduate recruitment scheme. And I was like, oh, mate, seriously, I wanted to work in media. This is an electronic map company. And they were like, <laughs> that's how little I knew so that is a complete honest moment right there so I, I was like I don't want to work at an electronic map company they were like no it's it's a big publishing house so they they make magazines I was like oh right sounds yeah. yeah really into it uh so I actually went on a graduate interview day which was as awful as you could imagine. About yeah. 30 of us in a room, you had to answer questions like, sell me this pen. That happened. Um, that these are the people. I hate I that. Know. I find that so cringe. Absolutely so cringe. <laughs> and it's things like... A bit of a confessional. One day I had a call. This is when I was doing um, classified sales. And I was on a call to a business and he was like, Okay, right, Dina, I'm ready for you. Sell me this, sell me this page, sell me this page. And I literally hung up. I was just like, oh, this is so cringe. I couldn't do it. Good for so. you. <laughs> Good for you. I did, and I don't know whether I sold that pen or not, but I ended up with a job, um, and I started off uh, working on the parenting titles at 21. So I was working on mother and baby and pregnancy and birth, which was an interesting, heady mix as a 21 year old going into media agencies selling real life birth stories to uh, <laughs> P&G. Uh, so yeah, but I, I, I found something I liked. It was media sales and the tourist form selling pages to, um, to media agencies, but in that sort of 
role I found that you know I was meeting people I really liked I found something I liked to do I was talking and getting paid to talk to people I just couldn't believe my luck um I met some really interesting characters I was you know finding a passion for 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 marketing and advertising and audiences and kind of from there it was just kind of finding I guess the next step for me was finding a brand that I connected with more um and at the time EMAP which is now Bauer uh they had a huge amount of uh, consumer leading publications and they had a lot of music magazines and there was a job going on um Mixmag, Mojo and Kerrang and I decided to go for that job and had just got back from completely by coincidence from a, a little girl trip to Ayanapa um and had the interview <laughs> um, memories now not only in yeah. career but like holiday destinations yeah. cool. Oh, so cool and I had an interview at Mixmag sort of the following day and they said to me could you you know look well look like you've been away and I said oh we've just been to Ayanapa and I've seen some DJ I wasn't you know massively into it but mentioned the DJ's name and they're like oh right I mean pretty much you've got the job and I was like great yeah. <laughs> and that was it and then sort of moved my way through from from the, the music magazines um went to work for quite a few years on the news brands male newspapers evening standard just met the most brilliant intelligent funny smart witty people um and uh then kind of made a bigger move into kind of women's magazines because I really felt like I wanted to work for a company whose purpose and mission I believed in and connected with and felt I could add value to I kind of moved to Hearst, Cosmo, Stylist. Yeah, so it's um, really the career progression has been so much for me driven about who I liked working with, yeah. bosses that inspired me and empowered me. And um, I feel incredibly grateful to all of the people who've given me a lot of support in my career over the years and um, will always seek to try and pay that forward. So when yeah. people come and work with me or for me, I will try and do and help for them the way that I was helped myself so you know it's a combination of yeah exactly exactly I've you know worked with some brilliant brilliant people um who I've learned a lot from and I I hope to kind of pay it forward myself in time as I kind of keep going (laughs) so when you look back at your career Mm. what's been the biggest challenge you face I mean I think people think that you're a white woman of privilege and Mm. you've you've not come up against any barriers mm. throughout your career like has it been as smooth sailing as people would assume uh I'd love to say yes but no and also I, I absolutely um I think you know I'm so hyper aware of my privilege whether that's um through my race my upbringing um I wasn't privately educated. I went to a standard state school. Both my parents worked, but they were together and they loved and looked after me, which is so much more than so many people have. And I'll always be so grateful for everything they instilled in me. Um, and I think that the one thing I could really, really do in my position is to speak my truth and really, really listen to people when they speak theirs. And one of my sort of favourite quotes is one by Virginia Woolf. And she says, you know, if you do not tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it about other people. So one of the things I'm really, really keen to always do is to always talk about the realities and the truths of my life as much as I possibly can. So 
if it any way it helps people feel that they can talk about the truth in theirs um they can so I think with work there's been lots of different sort of moments that have been tough or challenging or um have been difficult to overcome but I think the one that really really sticks out was um it was a massive lesson actually personally it was all sort of following my ego over my intuition um and you know when you're kind of in your mid late 20s and my ego was was really way too big it it needed to be it needed to be shrunk down a bit so in a way I'm super grateful for that happening yeah. I went to work for a really big media company um and I went for the job the job title it, it sounded really grand and you know yeah. it's it yeah. so silly looking back now and I was really taken with that and sort of really obsessed about status and what that yeah. role meant about who I was yeah um and then I got there and realized pretty much immediately that it was not the culture that I wanted it was the wrong kind of culture it was the wrong kind of leadership and um I was the wrong person for the job there was absolutely no no two ways about it I was and uh I really tried to fit in I, I tried to make it work I um and I just didn't and I just couldn't fit in and it was it was sort of one of the sort of first really big experiences bar school where you know I always find it quite difficult to fit in there um and yeah and I, I tried to speak up about how I felt and it really wasn't met with, met with a lot of support and over time I sort of felt really disempowered felt really convinced there was something wrong with me and my confidence completely plummeted I felt really really lost um I thought about quitting um, and then I felt really overwhelmed with that choice and my sort of this ego self went into overdrive and I thought, oh my God, you know, if I quit, I'm not going to have a job and how am I going to pay my bills and what will people think about that decision and I've taken this big job and it's going to people think I can't do it and maybe there was a bit of that in there too. You know, will my career be damaged? Will my, how will my CV look and how will I explain it? Can I get another job after this? And you know, they were a really big company with a really big reputation. So all of those decisions had consequences to them. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really hard. And um, I still get asked about that job now on my CV, yeah. like all of this time, like you were only there for such a short time, what yeah. happened? Yeah. So it's not something that's ever left. And I have to yeah. sort of revisit those feelings again. And I, actually, the honest answer is, is that I, it was the wrong company, the wrong job, and I was the wrong person for it. Yeah. And I learned a lot about myself in that, in that, in those moments and during that process. And um, I, eventually, I kind of, I did walk away. Um, I did quit, and I sort of chose my sort of well-being and told my ego to just shut up and you know yeah. go away. You know, stop, stop, kind of giving me a hard time. And I gave myself a really, really tough time for a really long time about walking away. And I, yeah. you know, I pushed harder for change. Should I have stood up for what I thought was wrong that was happening there? And um, and actually, it's only recently I've started to think differently about that decision. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting how long that sat with you. Yeah. One thing that's come out from you saying that is, has that made you realise how important it is to have a sense of belonging in an organization and having an inclusive culture more more than ever um and actually when I look back 
now I think what happened there really shaped me as as a leader and as somebody in a, in a company that I vowed personally that I would never ever or try never ever to let anyone feel who worked for me or with me like how I felt during those months in that role mm. so it's something that when I sort of hear someone talking about work that or a kind of time at work or something that situation they found themselves in it's making them deeply unhappy I'm immediately taken back to the how I felt and hopefully I can empathize more so because I understand that sense of belonging not feeling real and I think it can be really triggering for so many people that yeah. you know work is so much part of who you are and your purpose and your value and you feel like you add value you want to be useful and when you don't feel like you can be or you certainly don't feel like you belong it's an incredibly um difficult feeling to 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 kind of to go back to every day to kind of go back to something every single day and spend so much of your time somewhere where you know you don't belong and it isn't just you thinking that you look around you and you think yeah no they don't think I belong either yeah so yeah I think it's checked a lot about who I am now and so in a way I'm really grateful for that experience but I I can at why kind of the inclusivity conversation at work is so important is because that sense of belonging somewhere and that sense of not belonging somewhere I don't know whether you realize how important it feels to belong until you feel like you don't belong anymore yeah Um, yeah yeah. how do you think you've overcome that that situation like obviously you've said that you've applied you know in terms of how you lead and the environment that you try and create is the opposite to that but mm. it took you some time to kind of mm. kind of make amends with that decision and you've learned a lot from that and I, I think mm. that a lot of us can identify I know I personally can of everything you've said in terms of going for a role because of what it meant in terms of status mm. and ego um almost thinking that that is obviously where I should next be and not really thinking taking a whole 360 holistic view of something but mm. this is what people will expect me to do this is where I I expect myself to be so I'm going to make it work and then also getting to a point where you think I've actually made a big mistake here mm. how do I get out of it and mm. not you could have what's interesting is you could have gone for a role that maybe you weren't ready for career-wise but with the right support you could have been pushed up supported mm. and nurtured mm. the fact that you were in a role you'd gone for a role that maybe in terms of work-wise you wasn't ready for but the culture also wasn't supportive mm. makes you feel a lot more isolated as it mm. is to me mm. so how as I said it sounds like it's taken you some time but how have you been able to process and 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 take that that time in your life as a positive I think it's really interesting I think that sort of that mindset that's only really happened recently that sort of that quitting quitting is the new power you know and I think it's a really important conversation that's starting to happen and really very driven by Meghan Markle's decision to to quit the UK and leave the royal family and yeah. you know the judgment and criticism that she got for that but actually that was how she found her power and it's how she yeah. exercised her power and I think it you know there's sort of that that sense that power can only be done if you stay in a situation and you fight for change but actually yeah. you can 
walk away from something and then find yeah. power in a different way yeah. and change yeah. it from the outside. So I think working at Stylist really helped. I think working at Cosmopolitan really helped working at those those brands that really championed women's voices and, and empowered women to, to kind of to speak their truth and to speak honestly. And, you know, it has only happened recently in women's media that that has been something mm. that's been encouraged. It hasn't always been there. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I would suggest that probably I came to terms with it most when I took on bigger leadership roles that I suddenly, and I think so much of leadership is what you don't want to be and what you learned didn't work. And I, I kind of hope in the process of learning about what I think works, I've sort of let some of those feelings go, but yeah, it stayed, it stayed with me for a really, really long time. I had to, you know, you have to eat, I had to eat quite a lot of humble pie, whether I, you know, personally. We both know in media, everyone, everyone knows where everyone goes. Everyone mm-hmm. knows where your next move is. And yeah. everyone will ask that. It, it's one of those questions that are just unavoidable. If, if, if mm. right, your whole career, you've had long tenders somewhere and then they're going to pick on one thing. And it, they go kind straight of, for it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of don't want to, you know, you, you just... No. That was a time I've moved on now. There's a lot more mm-hmm. to me than that, you know, three, six months or whatever else. But yeah, it, it's it's difficult, particularly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the same in other industries, but I definitely know in our industry it is like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. and then, you know, when you see people CVs for interviews and they spend a short, there's a shortish amount of time somewhere. I try not to draw attention to it. Or if I do, I'm like, is there anything you want to talk to me about that role or should we just move? You know, it's, it's sometimes, it's, you know, people don't want to have a gap, so they put it in and therefore they know they're drawing attention to something, either about themselves or about the company that they were working for. Um, and it, it can be quite a, a challenging scenario. And I, I think that is changing a little bit more now. People are moving around more. But I think the more you can sort of be honest and say that there will be jobs that you will take or places you will go and you won't feel like you belong. Now, you know, you can try and force yourself into those spaces or, you know, try and push change through or try and, or the worst thing, change yourself to fit, which is even worse. Mm. When actually sometimes you just got to know when this isn't for me, this isn't the right place. And I moved on and actually that's a really powerful decision in itself, but it doesn't always feel like that at the time. No, I think it's very similar to relationships though. Like if you have Mm. dating someone and they appear to be, a psychopath or it just doesn't gel with you mm. you're okay to leave that as soon as you have those signals that you don't feel yeah. like you can do yourself so I don't know why we can't apply that and understand that in our careers where like you said we spend so much time there so much of what we do is about the people that we are with every day and if you have mm. that sense of isolation I've had that when I've literally like Sundays I've dreaded going to bed mm. because I know Monday means I have to be back in that environment and just feeling alone or feeling like I can't be myself. And it's horrible. It's horrible. horrible. You can avoid having to make someone relive that experience. Then, yeah, I just think we all just need to be a little bit kinder and not mm. in on what can be perceived as a weakness. But I think that you learn a lot from mistakes. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to be. I like what you said about you know when you see that you'll take a different approach rather than be like. So why was you only there for that sort of amount of time? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about what happened there, or do you understand what I mean? There's a way to be empathetic and make people feel comfortable to share rather than make them feel like oh my god this is no matter what I do this one question will depend on it's my. Gonna, 
exactly and the judgment that people make about my decision to leave or their decision to ask me to leave you know I uh yeah it's um it was a really formative experience and I actually think feeling isolated and actually now us all going through enforced isolation is a really good moment to go how does this really feel not to feel connected to people to feel emotionally and physically distant from people whilst in the security of your own home and hopefully it's a secure place for you yeah but to try and imagine how this feels and then replay it back into the workplace and go is there anybody in my workplace when we're all back together who still might feel isolated even though we're all together yeah so you know there are some important feelings that we should be kind of looking to take back to the workplace and actually say you know is this isolation that I'm experiencing now something that someone experiences every day in the workplace but just because we're together doesn't mean they're not feeling it yeah yeah that's such good I hadn't actually thought of that but yeah Mm. so we've kind of discussed the brands that you've you've represented and then one of the things that you're passionate about is the positive put my teeth back in positive representation of Mm -hmm. women in advertising Mm -hmm. which campaigns are you proudest of and why there's a few and I mean my my whole thing is I want to create a more truthful visual landscape for women or I certainly in the roles at Stylistic Cosmopolitan and um, the role I'm going into is, is less visual, but I certainly think it can be as inclusive and should be as representative. Um, and I think the one that really, really sticks out was a campaign that we did with, Job, with Dove, mm-hmm. which was for their project Show Us, which was a huge commitment Dove had made to a more representative um, Getty image bank. I don't know whether how often people who listen to this or how often you use Getty, but you will probably notice that it's one of the least representative image banks ever. If you don't believe me, all you need to do is Google women eating salad um, and you will be confronted with page after page of white women with perfect teeth and perfect skin laughing hysterically whilst eating a salad. I have never laughed eating a salad. Never. Ever. No. It's hilarious. This tomato is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, or if you Google something like investment banker, for example, you know, it, 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 it's all white men. So, you know, it's those little drip, drip, drips sort of moments of lack and inclusion and representation that we're kind of fed every single day and a dove wanted to commit and work with Getty to have a much more inclusive image bank particularly when women were searching or people were searching for images of women um, and it was a campaign called Project Show Us and they wanted to work with stylists and align with our Love Women campaign which is our big editorial initiative at the time which is, is still ongoing um, and that was all around the fact that the representation of women in the mainstream media and social media has really reflect, failed to reflect who we see in the mirror. And it's yeah. had a massive impact on our mental health. Um, and we made a big promise to try and change that. So we worked with Dove um, on the campaign where we actually, for the first time ever, aligned our editorial cover with the cover app. So they kind of spoke to one another. It was a brilliant editorial cover and it had a misted up mirror 
and someone had written sort of in their fingers, mirror, mirror on the wall, why don't I see anyone like me at all? Um, and then on the other side was the kind of dove commitment to Project Show Us. And then alongside that, Stylus made a big commitment to use all of the images that Getty had created um, that were across all of our kind of stock imagery that you used in our digital articles and, and print articles, etc. So it was a really, really big moment. It had a really positive um, response on social media. And I think it sort of really cemented Stylus' position as, as a brand that was really trying to to manifest and create real change and to certainly draw attention to issues that perhaps were just going unnoticed because of yeah. the unconscious bias that we find ourselves experiencing. So did that idea come from Dove or Stylist or was it just kind of a, for a creative meeting, the conversation actually organically progressed? So we got a brief from the media agency around the, the fact that they wanted to champion and celebrate this new uh, Getty image bank that they were creating. And then we went away and brainstormed ideas to, to connect the brief with our brand um, and sort of through a process of um, ideation and presentation and kind of uh, collaboration between the media agency, us and the client, we kind of, we settled on that idea, um, uh, created some video content, some brilliant social assets as well. Um, and, it, and it was really, really powerful. And it was powerful because it was powerful in its simplicity that it wasn't overcomplicated. It was very direct. It was very straightforward. The creative impact of it, I think, was incredibly um, powerful. It, it it told a story very quickly and using something that resonated with everybody because it used the words within a fairy tale, and yeah. the fact that women women had essentially been living and or certainly being presented in this sort of fairy tale existence that really wasn't real, and suddenly we were drawing attention to it in a very kind of direct way. So. Yeah, I really enjoyed working on it. It was a great campaign. And do you think in terms of, sorry, so when we're thinking about um, the balance of achieving positive representation of women Mm. and sales revenues and targets, Mm. how how do you feel you've managed to, does that have to give or have you felt that you've Mm. always managed to reach that balance? It's a really, really great question. Um, Certainly at Stylist, we said no a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually had a, a whole list of brand guidelines that we would work with on advertisers, but we wouldn't, wouldn't do, but we wouldn't, wouldn't carry. Um, in some categories, it's evolution, not revolution. And I think particularly in beauty, I think that's still one um, that needs to evolve. Uh, I think particularly with anti-aging, the messaging around anti-aging, anti-gray, anti-cellulite, anti this anti that and you know the word anti in its in its purest forms means just against that these things are bad like wrinkles yeah. are bad gray hair is bad cellulite is bad and you have to combat that's the other thing you know control tame combat to fight they're all words that are all used languages. so yeah. the language that is used in beauty advertising by by brands is like you're at war that you're at war with yourself you're at war with how you look and you know we would quite often speak to creative agencies, speak to agencies and speak to clients and ask them to remove those words from their creative or certainly reduce the the usage of them. And, and certainly in any content we were creating, we would never talk about anti-age, anti-wrinkle, anti-anything. Because I think we've just become so completely conditioned to to accept that that is okay to be spoken to in that way by, by beauty brands, that the, we should be fighting the processes that are so natural to us and you know and once you see it you can't unsee it that's the thing so but it's evolution not revolution we understand you know it it takes time to change things 
Did you find that, I mean, I think that's a really powerful stance for for stylists to have taken to say, look, mm. we want to work for you, but you need to remove these words that, that you know, mm. it, it, it's negative, it, you can't, you know, as you said, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. What were their responses? Initially, were people surprised that you were pushing back? Was there a mm. lot of, we're not going to do it, we'll work, we'll work around? I mean, we both worked in media. We know that mm. there was an opportunity for them to reach particular audiences mm-hmm. by buying around your title so yeah, yeah it'd be if you could share kind of like how that conversation went and what battles if any you know you had. what you know what 90% of the time really well 10% yeah. of the time there was anger and shock that we would even dare draw attention to it. and sometimes embarrassment as well that maybe they hadn't seen that narrative that they were playing out or were certainly sort of complicit in creating but you know what? Pretty, pretty good most of the time. And I actually think that the industry has changed a lot. It still has changed to to kind of to still go through. But they they did understand, and they, you know they were speaking using stylists for a specific reason. The fact that we saw life through a feminist lens, that the kind of women that we spoke to were intelligent and informed, and they were the kind of women they wanted to buy their brand. So they understood that we knew how to speak to her and what she how she wanted to be spoken to and so often we were able to kind of draw on um, a social media um, call out that we'd had so someone for example if they'd seen an ad in our magazine and they didn't like it or they certainly felt that it wasn't reflective or representative they would call us out on social media straight away you know it was they expected more from stylists in every way so we had um, a cover-up which had uh, a serum on it and then literally in the bottle shot it was at the very bottom of the bottle and it just said um I think it was anti-wrinkle but at the very bottom of the bottle and it got called out on social media like this is what we this is we expect so much more from stylists you know we we have you know how dare this brand that I love and trust so much tell me that wrinkles aren't okay and we're so we're able to draw on those moments and show brands and say look this is the woman you want to speak to and this is the reaction she's having when she's seeing this kind of messaging. So you might want to just think about dialing it down, changing the product shot. Can you think about the way that you communicate what this product does? Mm. Because the truth under all of this is in some way or another that we haven't all accepted the aging process. We do still want to look okay and we still want to to kind of... Um, to look our best and that means that some products that we buy will enable us to do that so but there's certainly a way that that can be that information can be given to us in a much sort of more supportive and empowering way that's such a good point this brings me on nicely to what i'm thinking next which is has the way in which media portrays the image of women impacted mm-hmm. you Yes, it has. And it's, again, that sort of speaking of my truth. And really, it's only in the last sort of couple of years that I've been really honest about this, both to myself and to, to people I know. Um, and, you know, I grew up uh, with the kind of traditional monthlies. I, you know, uh, social, you know, social media wasn't really a massive part of my life until my late 20s. So my, yeah. really my kind of in, my formative years as a, as a young woman was certainly through monthly magazines or through the sort of four or five TV channels we had. And, <laughs> the, you know, back in the day, back in the Victorian <laughs> The <house>. olden days. <laughs> the olden days. And, you know, going to the cinema or, you know, it, I didn't have a huge, you know, the kind of the array of media outlets wasn't massive. And I had a very specific um 
way that I thought I had to look and that was very much related to my my weight and I very much believed that you had to be thin to be in and I um, absolutely have had disordered eating most of my adult life and I think if I'd have had a more representative portrayal of how women should look I might have treated my body a little bit better I might have been a bit kinder to myself but I wasn't and I wasn't kind to my body for years and years and years Mm. um and it's still something I struggle with from time to time um and it's something that I know other people also struggle with to a kind of a greater degree than I do but it's something that I I still have to manage and I, I I don't I only I don't blame anyone for it but I certainly know that perhaps if I'd had a better visual landscape or a more representative visual landscape about how I thought I should look or be or who I should aspire to be I might have treated myself a little bit better. Has this has your personal experience led the passion that you have about female representation in media? Yeah I I I feel that um, I mean, there's so many great phrases that attach to this sort of sentiment. You can't be what you can't see. But I feel that you should be able to see people that look like you. There should be people on the pages of magazines, on TV, in cinema, in social media that look like you. Because that whole sense of belonging, isn't it? It goes back to that thing of belonging at work. Like you want to belong. You want to feel. And a sense of belonging sometimes is as simple as how you look and whether you're reflected in the people that you aspire to or look up to um so I feel very passionately about creating or wanting to create a content landscape you know whether that's going to be within magazines or in advertising or certainly now moving into audio that it should be a space where everyone feels welcome and everyone can see themselves um because yeah it wasn't it I it was it was there's been some horrible times you know for many people and I I treated myself really badly for a long time and I I still have to deal with that now and have to sort of forgive myself for a bit of what I did um but it's a process and I I kind of feel that the, the sooner we can get to a state of more inclusive and truthful portrayals of women the better. So when you look back to your eating disorder and and that time, how how did you how did it affect your mental well being and how do you feel that you've managed to overcome that time? I think you know I was in a state of denial for a while that this this wasn't really happening, and then you you surround yourself with people perhaps who kind of maybe think in the same way and normalise it as much as you can, um, and. I think that my mental health, I I think it was sort of so much about control, like living in a state of control all the time mentally is really hard to deal with because you're constantly sort of self-monitoring and that is a really takes up a lot of your head space and your thinking time. And actually what you realize is that that is just not a good, useful um sort of part of your 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 kind of mental capacity to be using all the time so you know I think sort of gradually over time I I I overcame it um I sort of found more stability in my personal life I found more stability at work I um you know really discovered 
you know my body in new ways through kind of practicing yoga and training to you know I, I trained to be a yoga teacher which was a really wonderful experience and you sort of become so grateful for your body in different ways that you know it helps you think it helps you it helps you you know move and get you to the office every day and it enables you to love your husband and or to love your friends and your family and it's such a special special machine that allows you to do so many things and you have to treat it right and you have to look after it um and it's still a process and it's still a process that you know is is ongoing but yeah I, I feel so so much better than I I have done in the past I mean this was this was a long time ago this was really sort of at its worst probably around you know 10 years or so ago and I sort of it's been a process of 10 years to kind of get me to here it's not sort of you wake up one day and go I'm just going to not do that anymore it takes a bit of time so yeah it's um yeah and work obviously work at Cosmo and Stylist is you know hugely helpful um being surrounded by brilliant women who are super supportive and you know understood that we all have our personal things that we are dealing with whether it's outwardly or inwardly um and sort of creating a space that we could all sort of really talk about them and really open about them it was a really you know helpful time as well so when we think about how we overcome like challenging situations in our life mm. It's been interesting that you've referred back to like the support network and mm. understanding that, you know, we're, we all have different backgrounds. We all have different things that will represent ourselves. How important do you think it is to have a diverse and inclusive culture within media? And do you think it's something that's been successfully achieved? I mean, mm. you've shown, you've shared a lot of, about your personal story. Mm. When you say holistic view, what, how do you feel? I mean, it's so important and I think it's just becoming ever so more important in every way. Um, I think even if we, you know, look at something like the the coronavirus and the experience we're all having now, you know, that is not a representative experience. Not everyone's having the same experience. You know, there is diversity to this experience. Um, and I think coming back to work I think a lot of people will have to understand the diversity of that experience and then how that manifests itself in the workplace and I think you know inclusivity and diversity in idea generation in thinking in um, belonging making people feel like they can belong going into a workplace and you know just the visual that you take in in that workplace if everybody is white or everybody is a is it's a man or a woman you're you're going to feel like you there is a lack of belonging there so I think you know it's it, it's more important than ever in terms of creating the best work creating the best ideas allowing people to feel like there is a sense of belonging that this is a place for them that they can evolve and grow and contribute to um and no I don't think it's been achieved in media I I I, I actually think it's a sort of systemic problem around recruitment mm -hmm. and the openness of our industry um and do we recruit for jobs in the right places are we you know we are uh, and it'd be really interesting to know whether the kind of remote working and flexible working will allow more open recruitment and more diversity and inclusion into the space that we, we talked about it at the top of this conversation because you know we are predominantly a, a, an urban based industry predominantly London and Manchester and you know that that excludes a lot of a lot of people from from that conversation because these are really expensive places to live mm. you know these are these are challenging places to live for people and I would love to think that this 
this sort of realization that we can do so much of this remotely maybe yeah. will allow us to think more differently about the type of recruitment that we 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 have or we do and actually the cost of commuting suddenly becomes less of an issue for somebody who lives in a, in a different place but wants to engage with the media and organization but had no way of affording to live in London or anywhere near it to to kind of get involved with this industry so you know I you know so often recruitment is done through LinkedIn is that is that where diverse audiences are engaging with business I don't think they are I, I think some of them are and I think some of them aren't it's, you know we need to think more um, creatively about how we bring people to this industry and how we mm-hmm. then create spaces and companies that feel that they can belong in and that is in mainstream media particularly I think there's some absolutely amazing brands that have sprung up through through voices being they weren't being represented and they've created their own space and they've done amazing work and I you know brands like Galden for example have just been extraordinary in what they've created but my hope no. and desire is <laughs> every time yeah. they they having an event I try and sign up and everything's already got like they must go I know but I, they're I, amazing yeah, they're doing amazing yeah amazing 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 work but for me, the sort of utopia would be that it's mainstream media that feels attractive to everybody. And I, I don't know whether it does. I think people still feel they need to create their own. And long may that continue because, my goodness me, is it a goldmine of amazing creativity, innovation and ideas. But also it would just be wonderful if, if the mainstream could feel that it included everybody. And I don't think the mainstream does yet. What do you think are the biggest barriers to that what what's causing this issue do you think so recruitment is one the way in which mm. we recruit, the, the habit of referrals and the the, the methods of, of which we are recruiting can be improved what else do you think could be done um I think leadership visibility and leadership having diversity and inclusion in in the leadership roles that um that we are creating or certainly recruiting into um I certainly think there's, you know, it's not everybody's favourite method, but I do, I do, I do wonder if sometimes having some quotas is important in some areas to actually right. have, um, yeah. to have someone in HR or have somebody in whatever part of your organisation is enables you to do that is to say that we have certain criteria and quotas we need to be hitting and we won't stop until we hit them, so we keep on going until we find the right person for the role. So, you know, this is, I mean, I've been in this industry for, for 20 years and I, I, I think it, it, has, it has improved. It has more to, definitely more to go and hopefully I'll work in it for another 20 years. And if you and I having this conversation in 20 years time, Dina, I hope that we can both say to each other it's got better again, but it might take another 20 years to do it. Mm. You know, I, I wish it would be rapid change. I, I, I mean, I actually think this this situation now will create more rapid change, and I really, really hope it does. Um, but yeah, I think you know there's there's lots of tactics that companies and individuals can use, and I think the more that we're aware of the lack of visibility, or we're actually looking at our own organisation and sort of saying, okay, so how inclusive are we? If someone walked into this office, yeah. what would they think? How would they feel? Yeah. Um, is really important and you sort of do need to do those sort of sense checks because you know we all suffer we all have unconscious bias that happens you know you know nobody nobody can say that there is no unconscious bias because it's just you know it's completely systemic and who 
how we've been brought up, how we work, who we surround ourselves with. So I think it's really important to kind of to sense check ourselves, to speak to other people in our organisations, people we work with, and ask whether they feel represented okay and included and if they belong. Do you think there's a need to become comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations in order to make change, to create change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I I quite enjoy an uncomfortable conversation, particularly if it's if it's someone drawing my attention to something that I've, you know, not said right or have have kind of maybe not included the right terminology and the right words you know words are so powerful and we have to be so careful about how we use them and making sure that we're using the the right the right terminology all the time or the right words that make people feel like they belong and include so yeah I, I I do think we need to and I think people should be very prepared to have them as well because you know that's the only way that you can you can learn and sort of at least empathize with so yeah I think it's really important if you what would you say to our listeners now that feel in some way that they they don't belong or they don't feel good enough um or they're not meeting the right media representation of mm. being a woman what, what what advice would you give them i mean firstly there is no version of the right woman it's what yeah. society media and advertising have told you it's is the right woman now you're, you are your own woman, you know, you are uniquely you, no one else is you. Um, and if you don't have a sense of belonging, you have to tell somebody, you have to, you do have to find a moment, even as comfortable as it, as it may seem at that time, and to tell somebody how you're feeling. Because, you know, I and find someone who, is, who wants to listen and to share that experience with you, because the sort of the right woman or the right version of womanhood is a construct and it's a construct that's been created over decades maybe hundreds of years it's gonna take a really long time to unpick it but unpick it we should um we did a really really big piece of research at stylist just before i left on sort of comparison culture and sort of this sense of this always on comparison that that, that has been created predominantly by social media um and it's sort of fueling this sort of this sense of low self-esteem in women we found that actually that of the stylist women that we spoke to only one in ten of them had high self-esteem which was just an extraordinary statistic we just we yeah. just couldn't we couldn't believe one only one in ten women said that they had high self-esteem which you know I we you know when you find out something like that you know you need to kind of dive into the data and really kind of get to understand what's happening and we sort of felt that what has been coined sort of comparison, social comparison theory by a, a social psychologist called Leon Festinger in the 1950s, which is essentially sort of keeping up with the Joneses that we all have moments of comparison. And actually, when they're regulated and done sort of evenly throughout a week or a month, that they're actually really important. They're good for motivation. They're good for, for good health, good cleanliness, good, um, you know, good work ethic, because you, you compare yourself to others in a positive way and, you, and it yeah. actually helps you improve and actually isn't unique to humans. They've actually seen primates do the same thing. So it's something that's really innate in our DNA. And um, he called it social comparison theory. So really it's sort of keeping up with the Joneses. Um, but what's happened is we've moved to this always on consumption of, of media and social media and content that 
in the 1950s, you were reading a newspaper once a day. You were you weren't even watching ITV. That was not even a thing until the mid 1950s, and you'd never seen a TV commercial. So, you know that sort of that comparison was regulated. Yeah. yeah, it was regulated, but it's not regulated anymore. It's omnipotent. It's everywhere. Um, and I think that what we were certainly seeing in this this research is this sort of feeling of low self esteem was coming from this sort of perfection pressure that women were feeling that these were being set unrealistic standards by media by advertising by by influencer culture um and sort of from that research we found that sort of 70 percent of the women the women we spoke to said that they knew that social media was this perfect showreel of 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 life you know it wasn't that real that often but yet sort of half of them felt that they were then under pressure to, to promote a perfect lifestyle themselves. So we were kind of caught up in this really kind of dystopian, keeping up with the Joneses, modern day version of like, you make it look easy and perfect, so I have to make it look easy and perfect. And we're trying to break out of that cycle. And it, it wasn't complicated things. It was sometimes really simple as like, what time someone else got up in the morning? So, you know, it isn't sort of, oh, you know, she looks like she's got the most amazing career and life yeah. and it all looks like it's always going so well for her. And, you know, God, I can't even put my washing on and, yeah. on, you know, a regular basis, let alone try and do something big and important, like get, a, get another job. And what we were saying is that it was a really simple things like what time someone gets up and I felt my trigger go when we were chatting earlier and you were like, oh, I got up at half past five. And I'm like, what? I mean if I got up at half past five maybe I could do the things that Dean is doing and I could I could I could you know immerse myself in literature and you know learn a new skit and I'm like "Ah." so you know it's it's natural for us to get triggered I think it's but that those triggers have been inbuilt because we're sort of under this illusion that our lives should look a certain way and be done in a certain way and I think you know Stylist has done a great job. Don't do that every day. So. No, she doesn't. No, no. no. Does a good balance. Yeah, yeah. But every half past five is a ten a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I think it's sort of, you know, if you look back at, at women's media, I think they've been not so much now, but in decades before, they've been hugely guilty of creating a certain stereotypical way of of women performing that is not easy for most people you know I I've lost count of how many articles or books or whatever the podcast that I've listened to read or seen where it's like you know the secret the early morning secrets of super successful women or you know these women who say oh I get up at 4am and I personal train and then I drink mm-hmm. a smoothie and I'm like really I mean I snooze my snooze my alarm about eight times before I drag my sorry carcass out of bed and drink yeah. four coffees so but you know they've, there's been a construct that has been created it isn't unique to women I think men find themselves in the same situation but you know what you need to do is to start to notice like we talked about the language of beauty you notice the, the words that's used in some beauty advertising and notice this perfection pressure that you might sense yourself being under and if someone's making you feel bad about who you are, then you should probably try and remove yourself from it because then you can't make them change. So, you know, you, the best thing you can do is sort of control your response to it. And that is trying to move yourself away from it if you can. But it's really hard when it's on your phone 24-7 and 
But it is difficult. It is challenging. I, I, I think probably because of the role that I do, I'm very conscious to go, I very often go through my list of followers who, mm. who I'm following yeah. and make sure that everyone that I'm following has some type of positive impact on me, whether it's mm. sometimes the people that I unfollow, they might not have done anything perceived as negative. It just doesn't work for where I am. The narrative mm-hmm. isn't where I am um and I find that that really the same with I've even taken the same approach with LinkedIn like Mm. because you can sometimes you're following people you don't even realize that you're following sometimes people's conversation like the 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 it could be that their tone or what they're all if there's always a particular point that they're always talking about if it doesn't really kind of service and feed my soul I will just Mm. remove myself and that's I wish them the best. There is, it, I'm not asking them to change the content that they are creating, mm. but it might not be working for me at, at the stage that I'm at. And I think that we have to become comfortable with being able to do that without any guilt or thinking that you're going to... I think it's because I am going to be 40 this year. I don't have FOMO at all anymore. So if I don't want to follow you, I don't really care what you've done. I don't, I'm not going to miss yeah. it. Like I'm fine. And it's it's definitely about being very conscious about the content that I'm consuming and if it is frivolous I still fully follow Chloe Kardashian and I probably will to the mm. day but I can look at stuff and even then I'm like oh okay that's not great but I know I know what I'm getting with that relationship mm. if that makes sense and I think I hope you're so right and it's, it's entertaining you know following someone like the Kardashians it's entertainment isn't it you have yeah. to sort of you know, you know, it's a completely unachievable life, but yes, it's still entertaining. I find, yeah. I don't know, I turned 40 in February, so it's a good feeling. It's, you know, you know, I got here, I got here pretty much in one piece, which is brilliant. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's a good feeling turning 40, although I keep forgetting I'm 40. So that's probably yeah. the fact I'm stuck in a child's mind sometimes <laughs> but yeah I, I I agree with you I think LinkedIn is 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 uh, I think people you know often crochet Instagram and that's the platform where you know we feel under most pressure and it's sometimes where the top most toxic feelings can come from but I'm like you it isn't it isn't Instagram for me it can certainly be LinkedIn where you know exactly it's not always what people say it's the tone in which they say mm. it and I think it's really interesting now in the sort of situation we find ourselves in, people are struggling to find the right tone on that platform. Like what is the right way to say things about work? Um, and I think sometimes people get the tone so wrong, but it doesn't stop me going on it and sort of scrolling through and seeing, you know, a colleague or a, a, someone who I've worked with or someone in the industry, I'm, I'll do something really special. And I'm like, wow, that's really amazing. I, I'm so impressed by that. But, but also deep down, I'm like, oh, maybe I, I should be saying something now and doing something. That's like, it, it, you, can't, it, it, you can't help that feeling. So, you know, it's it sort of noticing when it happens. Is it a fleeting feeling? Does it impact me over the day? Can I just let it go? Um, and if you can't, that's when you know you probably need to hit the mute button. Yeah. Um, and if you can, just, you know, keep going. Yeah. I'm going to touch back on us being 14 and part of the 40 Club. Yeah. Do you... If you look back to 20, 30 and 40, yeah. where was the most comfortable space in do you do you personally feel? Definitely now. I actually think I was my most uncomfortable in my I sort of I I think probably my late twenties, weirdly, sort of that, you know, that time for I I 
I think I wasn't my best self then. Yeah. Um, and sort of my thirties were sort of a massively informative period and certainly much more settled. So I think yeah. being forty feels pretty good, all in all. Yeah. I, I I enjoyed it. Um, I celebrated it with friends and family, and it was wonderful. You know, it's a it's a wonderful thing to spend time with people you love, and I think more so now than ever we realise that. So when is when's your birthday? June. June. All right. Okay. So I think yeah. this cross will be out of this, and you'll be on birthday, or it could be an outside birthday. I don't know, but I definitely feel a million times more comfortable about t- turning 14 talking about being 40 than I did being 13 I remember having about a month before I turned 30 having this massive panic attack of my life isn't right I'm not in the job that I should mm. be I'm not married I'm all of all of the social mm. pressures that I'd kind of put on myself to be this this is how I should be at 30 whereas now <laughs> I feel pretty damn good about being 40. I don't, I don't mm. feel like I look it. I don't feel that I, no. I feel that I have a lot of confidence and experience to kind of make judgment calls and decisions and feeling comfortable with uncomfortable things. So whether that is, you know, talking about when I don't necessarily feel accepted or my whole self, or mm. if I don't feel like what I'm seeing is right, I just feel like, I, I'm at that stage when I can really use my voice effectively. I mean, I think sometimes I've I've been that described as feisty, which drives me absolutely bonkers. I'm not. You don't describe men feisty. No. I'm not feisty. I'm just. I I know what I want to do, and, and I will call good or bad out. And I feel like now I'm definitely at a place where I'm just a bit like, this is cool. Life's mm. Things are cool. Like even if things don't work out, it's cool. It hasn't worked out for a reason. Mm. It's there's so less pressure on myself. Um, It's such it's 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 more you're more accepting, aren't you, of yourself as you are? And I I I loved what you said about you know the word feisty. You would never use that about man. You know you 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 know who you are. You know what you want. You're confident enough to assert that and yeah. to, to talk about that directly with others yeah, that's an amazing place to be you know that you can feel you can do that and you don't judge yourself for doing it, you don't second guess yourself afterwards you know what a brilliant place to be and if only we had that wisdom when we were in our late 20s I know. I know. but then we you know you would say we wouldn't be the women that we are now so yeah, yeah you kind of have to have yeah but I, I wouldn't I would never hurry to go back to if there was any decade I would say I can't I'd probably do that again it would be my 30s I, I the teenage years is awful 20s mm. is awful, like for different reasons they're just so challenging and we didn't have as you said like social media and stuff like that mm. there was enough pressure then so I just I, I yeah I I pray that my kids continue to be appear to be as well balanced as they are with all of the influences that they have around them because mm. it's a hard time to be young I think sometimes yeah and to switch yeah. off and to disconnect um, it's so hard really difficult yeah really difficult um we've been talking a lot about the representation of women and mm-hmm. inclusion and creating inclusive environments what role do you feel that men play in this and why I absolutely believe they should be part of the conversation. I, I, I 
my biggest worry is that you know you end up in an echo chamber and you create all of this positive change but you only create it amongst yourselves as a group of women and actually then you suddenly look outside again you're like oh it's only different in here it's not different out there so they absolutely should be part of the conversation you know they're such an important part of the conversation and they add so much um to it as well so um I've worked with some brilliant men I'm lucky enough to know some brilliant men who are you know as feminist as I am and they're they're a joy to be around so I think it's really important to include them in the conversation and to keep including them in the conversation if you could have a billboard with anything on it what would it say and why uh, this is a I, I have to really think about this and I think this is going to sound so cheesy um, I think I'd have uh, the chorus of Alanis Morissette's song You Learn on a billboard because I love those lyrics and I think about them all the time and I come back to that song over and over and over again and she just sort of says the words you live you learn you love you learn you cry you learn and you lose you learn so there's kind of fact that everything is there to be learned from and I yeah. love I love the sort of the simplicity of of that mindset so I think I'd have the lyrics to that song on a billboard I, I think that that those lyrics completely explain what we were touching on about kind mm. of how we become comfortable like everything you you learn it you're constantly learning and and yeah it's nice to get to a point in life where you feel like what whatever man you're learning something it will have a positive impact so yeah I, yeah. I really like that yeah um, how do those close to you describe your job? Well, now I, okay. so you can go with the other stylist or the new job. <laughs> well, I actually asked my husband that that question. Like, how do you describe my job? And he said it said something quite strange. But I mean, maybe it's true. He's like he said, you kind of seem like you write and um, you write the theme tune, you sing the theme tune, then you also play in the band. I was like, that is the weirdest description <laughs> of a job I've ever heard but uh yeah okay that's that makes sense so I think it's sort of like they sort of know that I work in media and advertising and I seem to sort of cut across lots of different disciplines who do lots of different things yeah you know um spend a lot of time doing lots of different things within my role so yeah I think it's sort of a little bit of everything is what he was trying to allude to in his rather bizarre statement (laughs) (laughs) but he definitely knows you're not in a band right (laughs) yeah I hope so (laughs) yeah (laughs) otherwise he's got it very wrong but uh yeah (laughs) um which book or film would you recommend and why um a couple of books I read recently um one was Three Women by Liz Tadeo um, and Educated by Tara Westover. Um, I love them both and I love books that really explore how women live but through their own eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So Three Women, if you haven't read it, it's the most honest, one of the most honest perspectives of love and sexuality that I've ever read. You know, it's, it's sad, it's beautiful, it's raw, it's funny, it's all at the same time. And um, the writer sort of spent a decade I think with these women just exploring their stories and it just is the most really powerful um, mm-hmm. and moving experience to read it and educated is the biography of Tara Westover who was a Mormon um, who broke three, free from her Mormon family through education um, and ended up I think at Harvard and is now a professor it's, it's so incredibly inspiring and fascinating mm-hmm. it sort of dive into that culture and I absolutely love them both 
And if you if you had to choose a film, what would it be? I actually um, I watched Green Book for the first time about two weeks. I just haven't got around to watching it. It just is the most brilliant, amazing, isn't it? brilliant yeah. film. Yeah. My God, what a movie! I just yeah. so I felt inspired. I felt informed. I felt uplifted. Yeah. I just thought it was beautiful, and it's just yeah. so beautiful as well to see a friendship portrayed between two men as well on screen in such a yeah. such a moving way to tell that story through the eyes of sort of um, through race, through friendship, yeah, through gender, through you know politics, through culture. I I just thought it was an absolute. And also, like, like different back, uh, economic backgrounds, like yeah. such a powerful story. And yeah. the fact that it's true is like even more, yeah, yeah mind yeah. blowing. Absolutely yeah. mind blowing. Yeah, I, no, felt, I felt like I'd had a complete education in the space of, of two hours. I thought, you know, it's a powerful, powerful film that can do that. Yeah, no, really good. Um, what makes you feel expired, Georgie? Um, I think. Sort of at the heart of my things I get inspired by is I think it's people achieving goals and ambitions. Um, I mean, particularly if they've overcome some form of adversity to achieve them. Mm. I mean, I could I could cry every time I see someone achieve something that either they thought they couldn't or they've overcome some a, a block or a bound, you know, something that was in their way to enable them to do it. And I think that that really inspires me all the time so you know whether it's in the workplace whether it's watching the sports or um hearing heroic stories um I think that always inspires me to do better and to be better and you know I often seek them out actually if I am feeling a little bit sad I'll try and find something that is an inspiring story of someone overcoming something and it always makes me feel better yeah it can also make me really cry (laughs) yeah god me too yeah. I mean, I, I, any time that, you know, sadly there won't be the Olympics this year, but anything sort of, particularly in the sporting realm or anywhere, particularly someone's come over physical adversity to achieve something, I, yeah, pass me those tissues because I'm yeah. usually <laughs> crying my eyes out. <laughs> I am the annoying person in the house that's always quite like, if we watch, even if it's like a really positive, happy story, like I yeah. will be crying. It's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just have this bag of emotions. It's <laughs> what can it's you do good, but let them out? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good release, isn't it? You know, if you can release them in a positive way, you know, having crying but for a, a good reason and a positive reason is something so powerful and important. You know, you can't don't always cry because you're sad. You can cry because you're inspired and you're happy, and it's you know such yeah. a, a positive release when it happens. Yeah, what's the most important thing you've learned in life? Big question. Oh my god, this is a huge question. Um, I think there's a couple of sort of um sayings that I I really connect with, and there's one at the moment that I I I, I read a couple of years ago, and I've really connected with it. And it's smooth waters don't make skillful sailors, and I love that quote. Ooh, and and I think that that's been a big lesson is that. Sometimes, you know, in this really stormy seas, that is, again, going back to Alanis Morissette billboard, that's when you're learning the most. Mm. Um, so sort of, being, you know, understanding that you will build resilience, confidence and a skill set in the most troubling of times that you can sort of look to the future and think there will be something that comes out of this that I will be able to draw on. And I'm always massively drawn to the words of Maya Angelou, those really 
poignant and beautiful words when she sort of talked about, you know, people forget what you did, forget what you said, but you'll never forget how they you made them feel. Yeah. And I, 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 that is one of the, the truest pieces of prose ever written. And I, you know, I, I, I definitely stand by that. So, yeah, I think they would sort of be the, the, the most important things, you know, it's about how you make someone feel. And actually, even in the most troubling of times, there is a lesson and you can learn something from it. When, um, when I do yin yoga with my instructor, what mm. she says whilst we're meditating is this two shell pass. And I think yeah. that's very, very powerful. And, you know, w- even before this current pan- pandemic that we're living through, but when I've had, when I've been doing a session with her and I am going through some type of turmoil, that always really helps ground me and make me feel mm-hmm. okay. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that just understanding that you've been through bad things before and mm-hmm. it's all everything is for a moment. Even a joyful situation is for a, a moment. It's mm-hmm. forever. And I think definitely now that that understanding that is is gonna be really powerful for lots of other people, I think. So you're so right. You're so so right. And I love the fact you do yin yoga. I didn't know that. I love it at the end. <laughs> Oh, it's my favourite. Like, my instructor's like, we're going to do a power session tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, can we do, she can't, you cannot just do ying all of the time. <laughs> you can't just lie down. <laughs> I'm lying down in a stressful position for three to five minutes. <laughs> it's not that easy, but no. It's really not. I find it, that's actually the hardest, the yoga I find the most challenging because to sort of sit still for for sort of five minutes and not want to to move and just let your body release and go it can be you know it's really talent really challenging it is it is and I think with everything it's about having the right instructor because Mm. I know she'll know what is a challenging move for me but she'll say when she's talking us through she'll say that she'll say things just at the right time and it's probably not for me but for when I'm listening to it it's about you should be like accept that feeling, you know, understand mm. that you're wrong. and that really helps. So mm. again, I think that with things like that, it's such an intimate experience, yoga. And I know that yeah. people that might sound really weird, but you do need to have the right instruction, build the right connection to kind of do stuff and challenge yourself. But no, Ying is my absolute favorite. Absolute favorite. So so true. How often have you gone into a yoga class and then the instructor you're like, nope, this is not <laughs> you me. just can't play. I've never been. Class. If they're not, if they're not right, I'm, I'll, I'll just exit left. I, I, no offense, yeah. this relationship's just not going to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and let's finish off with what's your one tip to make the world a better place? Uh, I think it would probably be something around have courage and be kind. I think it could be right. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for taking time from your in-between break um, to speak <laughs> today. Um, as always, it's been a fascinating conversation and I feel that, you know, we just bounce ideas and flow really, really nicely. So thanks for taking part. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the session today as well. Dina, thank you so, so much. I always love talking to you. Um, yeah, it's been great. I've loved it. What a way to spend an afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> and no wine. We can behave. <laughs> I know. I'm going to go and drink a glass of wine and cheers to you in a minute. Yeah. Have a great <laughs> afternoon. Thanks so much. You Jordan. too. Thank, Thank you so much, Dina. Take care. Bye.